0: Welcome, everyone, to the Every Other Thursday podcast, where in each episode, we bring you suggestions for improving the guest dining experience and our industry roundtable, where we tackle the industry issues of the moment. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 30-minute presentation featuring our industry experts who are never shy about offering up their thoughts and ideas. Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. Tabletop Journal, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Every Other Thursday. I'm Dave Turner, and I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday, and I'm here as I usually am with my colleagues, Jay Alley and Greg Kearish. Hey, guys. How are you doing tonight? Great. Hello. Good. Couldn't be better. Couldn't be better for the end of January. You guys holding up okay in the
2: wintry, all this winter that we're having here? Yep. It hasn't been bad in Chicago. Hasn't
1: been bad in Chicago? Yeah. Really?
2: No, not at all. When we're expecting like well into the uh, 50s here this weekend. Really? Good for you guys. Yep. Good for you guys. Very uncommon.
1: All right. Well, everybody by now, you know that every other Thursday is our 30 Minutes or So podcast where we showcase interesting tabletop-related products and ideas, all with the idea of engaging the dining guests and elevating the guest dining experience, all while helping the operator increase their profitability. And along with the new products and ideas, every other Thursday is where we also undertake a vigorous roundtable. We get into a discussion on some of the hot topics of the moment. And of course, this week, we won't be any different. But let's take care of a little business first. Every other Thursday is brought to you by Tabletop Journal. And guys, again, it's our ninth year now. I'm still amazed by that. But Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate all the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. Okay, so as I mentioned, we start each episode with Greg bringing us his big new idea for the episode, for improving the overall guest experience and for improving an operator's profitability. So Greg, what do you have for this
2: week? Well, I've been looking around a lot at, you know, the industry. And I just came back from Europe looking at tabletops. And there's
1: this Oh, you name dropper you. Yeah.
2: And, this, and it's all research for our listeners. And you know, it's, it's there's no secret. That one of the one of the big trends out there is the move towards smaller plates, the t- you know, tapas, type food, Mediterranean foods and beyond. Lots of small plates, lots of sharing. And the tabletop is it has a limited space, and it, I've seen it constantly where the waitstaff brings out the plates, and you're juggling, and you're trying to find space, and moving around, and the whole tabletop is full, and the question just came in my mind, you know, it just like really any other real estate, when real estate is scarce and expensive, you build higher and higher, and that uh, being the case, why don't we use more plate stands? Put a plate stand vertical on a tabletop. You could stack multiple plates. It'd be easy for the wait staff. They could actually probably carry the plates out in the stand. Initially, it has a good view for people. You know, it's, there's theatrics, there's drama. You can see it from other tables, and I, I just think that it could make a lot of sense. And I'm wondering if there's a um, an operational reason why it wouldn't. But uh, I can't think of one yet. Maybe you guys could chime in.
1: Well, uh, Jay, we were just at a Smith & Walensky together not long ago. I didn't really see any plate stands being used, but I did see some elevation kinds of things, didn't you?
3: Yeah, well, they were hanging the meat from uh, where they were slicing it off of a contraption that was above the table. The pieces of meat were maybe a foot above the, the tabletop, and I didn't really get a great look at how they were doing that. But when you say plate stand, I, I'm not quite sure what what you mean. If You're talking about a, a I mean, sometimes when you, they bring like a seafood tower, they'll set it on top of a, a stand that's holding up the whole tower, and then you take your food off the tower and put it on your plate. Is that what you're talking about? or?
2: Well, that could be the case. That's like a plateau de fruit de mer kind of thing, but it also like a high tea right? where you have all the sandwiches and, and uh, pastries on a tower. That would be, certainly be one idea. But the idea I have could be a rack, could be wood, could be metal. Probably metal, where you actually insert the plates vertically.
1: Now I've seen those with sort of desserts and uh, afternoon tea and all that, but I've never seen them with small plates. When I think of small plates, I'm thinking like almost bread and butter size plates.
2: Sure, yeah, maybe a little, maybe a little bigger, maybe as big as a saucer. An eight-inch eight salad. Yeah, exa- exactly. You know, why? Why wouldn't that work? And you know, it seems stable. And I did a little bit of research online. And the locally retail and housewares and kitchenware stores around here carry them for the home, which I was actually surprised about because how many, how many in in that smaller size? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And for those of you in different parts of the country, Crate and Barrel carries them, but it just seems to me that that it would take a lot of clutter off the off the tabletop it would make it easier for everyone the wait staff and the and the uh, guest and it uh, would add something would add you know it would elevate the food literally elevate it so adding drama theater people can see it from other tables which is always fun you know what are they eating over there i want one, i want some of that i just think it makes a lot a lot, a lot of sense instead of having four plates horizontal, why don't you go four plates straight up and down?
1: The only thing that would concern me a little bit is it might block the view of people around the table. But no, if you're only going, uh, you know, say 10 or 12 inches up, maybe you could hold two or three plates on that. Yeah, I have no problems with that.
2: But, uh, you know, when I've been to like high teas before and that type of uh, dining experience, and it's never seemed to be a problem. And also the item that Jay mentioned, these Plateau de fruits de mer, pardon my uh, pronunciation. Seafood platters. Seafood platters.
1: Yeah, for us over here in Baltimore, they just call them seafood platters.
2: Okay, there you go. And so I don't think that's a that much of an issue blocking views, and they seem to be stable. That's true. I don't see I've never seen one, you know, flip off the table or anything. So.
1: So I, I want all the dealer salespeople out there that are listening. I like them to let us know what they think of small plate. Platters for the racks uh, so where I can go up two, three, maybe maybe they're side by side, and you can do four plates and that kind of thing. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just I like it. I, I like the idea of uh, better use of the real estate of the table because tables are getting smaller and smaller.
2: And then it provides the opportunity for you know different plates, different decorations. Uh, you know, because you, because the, the the plate becomes part of the of the um, of the uh, of the device. And it it makes you do what?
1: It makes you have dialogue, exactly. right, Greg? The di- dialogue is key. Yeah, Doctor Dialogue is back.
3: I'm still trying to get over the high tea experience.
1: <laughs> what the high t experience or Greg at the high tea experience? Yeah,
3: I think Greg's back because it's a Greg. He he probably got thrown out of it. I don't know.
1: <laughs> well i think that's interesting and like i said I, I i think real estate sometimes is at a premium especially when you have those multiple course events with you know tapas type of event, uh, restaurants where you bring in lots of plates and it's in, in a lot of movement on the tabletop itself yeah I, I i can see there's a place even if it's just to store the plates i guess i, I you know but when
3: you say small plates i mean I, I don't think of it that way i mean i i think of it as a restaurant that is serving smaller portions, hence the, the less diameter plate on a 12-inch dinner plate, and they're bringing multiple courses out for everybody to participate at the same time. But it does come out on a, on, a, on a smaller plate, and it's a smaller portion. And then you go to the next one, next one. So
1: Yeah, and you're thinking they're taking the plates away is, is, is the deal.
3: Right, right. I mean, other than that, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, if you go to, like, Fago de Chao, the Brazilian beef places, you know, those plates are not huge either. And they come, they slice the beef, and you, you, know, you can go get some salad. Or they bring things to the table. So this creates more activity around, around the table and around the guest experience. But I I don't know. I mean, I don't know about stacking food and plates elevated. What do you do? You just take the plate off that you want and sit it down in front of you and just never experience that. I'm mean, going to experience the dessert, the dessert deal where they bring a dessert rack to the table and you just pick out your, you know, like Season 52 started that concept where they'd have these little square glass dishes, a dozen of them in a holder, and you could just pick out one, two, or three, or however many you wanted to sample and do it that way. But uh, most of the smaller plate stuff that I've ever been involved with was literally that. It was smaller portions in a few more options to, to maybe expand the types of food that you were, you were enjoying.
2: Well, I think you're right. You know, depending upon the menu, you wouldn't put all the items in one of these vertical racks, but there might be some. And if you could eliminate three or four from the tabletop and put them vertically, it certainly would help. Just just an idea out there for people to talk about.
1: For sure. I, yeah. I, I, and, I, and I'm now I'm trying to visualize carrying it through the dining room too. You know, as long as it's not too heavy, as long as it's not too bulky yeah, and you can actually get a couple extra plates on there without it being crowded on Yeah, I'm all for that. I go back to uh, the idea of theater. I think it does bring some theater to the tabletop. Sounds easy. I'm in. Okay. Well, we've got to take a break right now and pay some bills. So we're going to come back and Jay's just come back from a great, great adventure in the Big Apple in New York City and it's a great wine adventure. And we want to hear all about it. And we want to get your take on the event, Jay, and how it all went. So we'll be back in just a minute.
0: This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag Tabletop Matters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe tabletopjournal.com where we celebrate the products, the people and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, back to our podcast.
1: Okay, everybody, we're back now and I'm looking forward to this session because I want to hear all about Jay's great adventure in New York City. Jay, you went to a wine event, right?
3: We went to an event of the American Sommelier Association up in up in the city and it was a champagne and wine event, but basically it was they were getting ready to do a uh, filming of how you can learn to taste and do things like that. And they were talking about champagnes in general. It was it was, it was was pretty interesting. But the gist of the whole thing, too, and one of the things that I found most interesting, I mean, there were some neat tidbits about learning how to start as a ground-level sommelier trainee or whatever it is. And that was fine. But one of the things that we started to talk about amongst a group of people was the fact that, you know, in America, and I think you and I have discussed this, we don't drink enough champagne. I don't think we enjoy it. You know, we think of it as something that we primarily order if it's a an anniversary, a birthday, a Valentine's Day, or something like that, when in reality, you can, you can enjoy it all the time. And once that conversation got started in a room, it was interesting how it kind of just kept going and going and going. And next thing you know, everybody was talking about what operators and restaurants can do to bring more attention to champagne. And we were talking about, you know, you'll see the, the cards on the table talking about the, a Moscow Mule Special or a Fork Special that they're presenting for that week or day. And you almost never see that on champagne, at least I've never have. I think the only ten cards I've ever seen on a table was maybe advertising a half bottle. So I think everybody was in agreement that there's gonna be a movement coming where we're gonna to try to get people in their homes and in restaurants and all that to to think more and more and more about champagne. So it was a lot of fun. Unfortunately I was talking to a lot of people so I didn't get to drink much champagne, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> but everybody everybody had a great time and uh, of course they were using stolzen glass, which was nice and we're going to do more and more and more with them. So we'll be talking about that more in the future.
1: Jay, well, let me ask you a quick couple of questions. Was a all champagne, champagne, sparkling wine, Prosecco? Did it, did it matter? They had a
3: lot, mostly champagne, but they had a little bit of everything. The only thing they didn't have, and I brought it up and it was kind of, Shunned a little bit was Prosecco. Oh, they didn't like that. Some of the Sommies just saying, "Oh, we don't really want to say that in the same name as the kind of champagne we we're talking about." I went, "Okay, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not an expert, so this is the last you'll hear of that."
2: No, no cava.
1: Yeah, no, no cava.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I like Prosecco. So I, I don't know. I mean, I know there's a difference, and I can tell a little bit of a difference. But anyway, once we got past that, it was it was just really a lot of fun. And did get a great, overwhelming response to the glass because we provided that for the classes for the wine Sommier training sessions, the ones that they do. So that was pretty neat.
1: I think and defend Prosecco just a little bit and I love champagne. There's no question about it. But I I think in terms of if you want to get more champagne drinkers, I think Prosecco is the entry-level drug, if you want to say it like that. I think that's the approachable one from a price standpoint, from a flavor profile, and it isn't as intimidating as champagne, I don't think.
3: Right. Right. I, I agree. I agree 100%. We'll drink it fairly often. I mean, it's kind of fun,
1: at an event like that, what's the glass of choice to drink it out of? Because if you if if anybody goes to Champagne, there's no there's no I didn't see many flutes when I was there. So it's mostly just what I would call uh, more Riesling type glasses, those taller ones, a little thinner, a little more narrow opening, that kind of thing. But they're they're definitely wine glasses, not flutes.
3: Yeah, no no doubt about it. And, and actually, that's a great point because that came up quite, quite a lot. And most of the people that we were talking to, especially some operators that were there and some sommeliers for some of the restaurants, that they're starting to serve it more and more and more in wine glasses. And Depending on, on what type of champagne you are drinking, obviously something on an oversized glass is great, but the sommeliers are a lot more sophisticated than I am, But obviously, but I would say a 17 to 20 ounce wine glass could be the perfect choice. Then they got almost over the top on it like you would just picking up different wine glasses for different varietals. But I think if you were going to use a just a general wine glass, a 15- to 17-ounce glass, like some of our most popular all-purpose glasses, would work just fine. I even was talking to a couple of the, of the folks about scoring wine glasses, which, which we can do that at the factory because all of our champagne glasses are scored at the bottom of the bowls, which just aggravates the effervescence. So you get that barrage of bubbles coming up from the bottom, which makes everything look super fresh and all that. We can actually do that to a wine glass.
1: Greg, to your dialogue point, I think the idea of bringing in, uh, let's call it for lack of a better term, a regular wine glass versus a flute, sharing that concept with operators, I think for a dealer, a salesperson, a glassware supplier, I think I think that could be a way to help them increase sales of bubbles, let's say, whatever whatever type of bubbles you want to be selling.
2: Absolutely. Well, you know, the, more and more of the operators are looking for the suppliers to be their eyes and their ears to what's going on out there in the marketplace for new ideas, new information. So, if there's this uh, trend away from flutes, and if there's a good reason for it, then you know this is a great opportunity for uh, the suppliers to walk in and to, and to let operators know and to talk. And I know the overused word is dialogue, but that you know you create that relationship. You're the you become the go-to person. And uh, you get relied upon. So if there's ever a tabletop need, you're the person that uh, is, it gets called first. And again, I don't want
1: to sound uh, go over the over the top here on prosecco, but I think that we did a uh, a stat of the week. I think it was last probably last summer on See Yourself, because we always start the ep- each episode off with the stat of the week. And I think the stat was the growth of Prosecco. Prosecco, in the, particularly in North America, had it was growing uh, faster than almost any other wine category. So I think to sell more wine, to create a I, I See, I love when you talk about bubbles, and again, whether it's Prosecco, Cava, Champagne, sparkling wine from California, or whatever, I think that creates a different vibe, a different atmosphere. It's a, a more of a celebratory kind of an event. And, and I think that's kind of more of a party event. Wine is great. I love wine. Reds, whites, doesn't matter. But bubbles are just a little different.
2: I was just in England at one of Heston Blumenthal's restaurants, and he was having fish and chips. Uh, an American at the next table was having fish and chips. And how much more You know, classic English can that be? And actually, the sous chef came out and was walking around and talking with people and said, You know, you really should have a a glass of champagne with that. And, uh, you know, he, he looks at her and goes, What? Yeah. And she goes, Yeah, champagne goes excellent with those fish and chips. He orders the glass and he says, This is fantastic. And what it does is it cleanses the palate. You know, you have this rich, oily fish and chips. And then you take a sip of the uh, champagne and, you know, it cleanses the palate and you really enjoy the meal more. He said it was a fantastic pairing. And who would have thought champagne and fish and chips?
1: Now, what is it, the effervescence in the in the champagne?
2: Yes, the lightness. And, See,
1: there you, there you go.
2: And also there is, you know, the, the type of wine is also often drier. You know,
1: again, tons of palate. Cool. What other good takeaways, Jay, did they have from the event that you're at in New York? Was there there any other surprise takeaways that you saw that kind of just wowed you?
3: No. Well, I I think one of the things that is obvious is when you get a bunch of of wine people together, uh, the conversation flows easier, I think, sometimes, especially after multiple glasses of wine. But, yeah, it was just a real friendly atmosphere and everybody sharing ideas. And it was really, really a neat time. And you can just see the camaraderie with those people who all good. Uh, a lot in common and they were all at every knowledge level you can possibly imagine. So it was, it was a good deal. And we'll do more. They're going to, like I said, they're going to put together a, uh, a training, a Somalia training video series. And uh, you and I need to talk about because We were talking about.
1: Well, I, I think that for, for me now, just just for me, and I'm not I'm not Mister Sommelier, but there seem to be several groups of sommeliers now. I want to be clear which one which sommelier group was this.
3: Well, this is the American Sommelier Society, the one that we supply the the, the glassware to.
1: American Sommelier Society. Okay, I want to give them a plug. That's all. You know that. Yeah,
3: yeah, for a sure. Great event, and was it a big event? I would say there was probably fifty to seventy-five people there, and they had a lot of nice finger food, some you know, some uh, Italian products and olives and all kinds of stuff. So
1: yeah, it, it was it was really good, great, nice, intimate event.
3: And they get ready to start another semester, so there'll be some more training. You know, there'll be a whole other class getting ready to go through and get started. Now,
1: as a as a glass manufacturer, put on your glass manufacturer hat. Hey, okay, I got a question for you: Is a flute harder to make? Any necessarily any harder to make than any other wine glass? A, a what I'll call traditional champagne flute. The narrow, the narrow uh, bowl and all
3: that? Yeah, not being a technician, I don't really know. I, 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 I tend to guess and say I don't think it's any harder. I mean, maybe they run the machines just a little bit slower, but I don't know that for sure. I don't think so. The thing that's interesting is there wasn't a lot of conversation about flutes. I mean, there was a lot more conversation about everybody doing it more in wine glasses than ever before, which was pretty neat. So we started a discussion about, yeah, I think what we're going to do is we're going to try to find out as a company – identify some shapes that make some easy sense in that 15 to 18 ounce uh, size range, and then maybe produce a bunch of them score it up and then test them. And if the tourists accept it, then we can build a big inventory in those and just make it a standard stock ordering item. The problem is, is if you try to, you know, like one of our customers wants to talk about this down in Florida and the question is going to be, okay, I mean, you can't make a production run of 144 champagne flutes, which would probably outfit a couple hundred seat restaurant on it, you know, pretty nicely so you have to run tens of thousands of the flutes so you'd have to make them a standard item in your assortment so the good news is it would be a different style from the current glass that they have so it'd be easy to keep track and keep separated so it's just some logistical issues that create a challenge but we're going to give it a whirl we're going to spend some time investigating it i won't say the flute's dead but everybody that was talking about flutes was talking about trying to find really really oversized flutes and of course then you say to yourself why bother
1: yeah, what's yeah? It's a it's a wine glass.
3: Yeah, the the, the, the champ the wine glass seems to be the, the new trend now. Maybe they'll some people will go kicking and screaming like they did when they came out with synthetic corks. But I don't know. We'll see. I think it's just going to be fun. Then then comes the idea of how do we market and promote? You know, champagnes are not just for a multiple of short celebrations. You, it could be something that you do every time you dine out, depending on where you want to fit it in in the meal, whether you want to start with it, end with it all kinds of stuff that you can
1: do. Yeah, I mean, it's like anything else. We've talked about these kinds of things before, I think. I think it's an education process. And you've got to have people in on your staff that can make new categories of events seem approachable. And I think most people get intimidated by a champagne or a sparkling wine list. Most casual people do, and therefore they don't order that. I mean, it's sometimes wine lists in general can intimidate people. But I think just... Get away from what you're saying, and I agree with it. Get away from just having it on celebratory events, birthdays, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, that kind of thing, anniversaries and have it be more of a regular type, yeah, let's have a glass of bubbles, either to start the meal or maybe with dessert to finish it off.
3: Right. I think And I think it would be a great way, you know, we talked about uh, how can you how can a restaurateur increase the check average and the experience on the front side of the meal or the back side of the meal. And that's exactly one of the things that we, we did talk about is, you, you know, you could, they could create all kinds of special pairings if you want to start off with a little taste of something and some champagne just to get the the evening started. And then again, you could finish up with that or you could finish up with a scotch or whatever, but all of that I think gives the operator an opportunity to increase his check average, make his restaurant or her restaurant more special in the ordinary. You know, it should give the DSRs from all of the dealerships, if they start thinking about that, then, then getting into Greg's point about smaller plates, even some metal serving things, you know, that, that put maybe seafood in. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen once you start down that road.
1: Okay. Let me go a different down a different road just a little bit here. And if I'm uh, off base, let me know. But most people would consider bourbon a heavily skewed male beverage. More and more women are drinking bourbon. Don't get me wrong. I got it. And I love that. But conversely, would bubbles, champagne, Prosecco, Cava, whatever, sparkling wines of any kind, would they be skewed as more female drinks and men would not order a glass of champagne?
3: No, not from what I saw during the last last evening. I mean, I don't think so.
1: Well, you're hanging, yeah, but you've got a very, well, you've got, a first of all, educated professionals that you're hanging out with.
3: Yeah, well, I think you're, you know, I mean, few times that we've been out we always end the, the, the final part of me with a with a with a bourbon or a whiskey and that's fine. I just I don't I don't think I don't know. I that's a great question. I don't I mean like with me it wouldn't matter. I know if you go over to Italy and France and places like that you see everybody drinking champagne a lot more than we do. So I don't know. I don't know. I think that's it's a personal In this case you're using
1: champagne as the generic whatever's bubbles is champagne. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay,
2: And then to take that a little bit further, you know, I was in Europe also again last year. And, you know. It, what
1: a name. What a, Jay, do you, do, you, do you get feeling like you're getting boy, left out of this conversation? Hey, when I was in Europe last week, when I was in Europe last weekend. This,
2: this uh, tabletop business is really great, I tell you, you know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. And then virtually yeah. everybody or every table, they're drinking wine spritzes. And so this kind of reminds me of the same thing where, you know, you have an apérol spritz or a, a, a Campari spritz or a Maro spritz, and you got the bubbles, and they drink that out of a out of a wine glass. It just makes sense that and and men and women were drinking it equally, as far as I could see. So
3: yeah, well you you know you think about a lot of men drink mimosas. I mean, so that's no, I don't see that as any more less manly than a glass of champagne or more manly i don't know no
1: i mean I, I'm, with, I'm i'm all for it
3: yeah i think when you come to this food business, this, you know the cocktail and wine and, and beer business and all I, I i think it's even it's harder and harder and harder to, to put anybody in into a bucket for lack of a better way to explain it
1: yeah no i agree i was thrilled uh, the last time i can't name drop or uh, place drop like greg can but last time in louisville you saw more and more women
3: at the bourbon tastings oh yeah i can't even i can't even imagine that, that would be a anything that a woman would shy away from i mean unless they just don't like the taste of it but hey listen i i was first time i ever saw a woman smoking a cigar i almost fell out of the chair but there you go <laughs>
1: hey nothing wrong with that all right well listen that's cool well, so when is your next event with the sommeliers
3: i'm not sure you know we we talk all the time and we play it one take it one step at a time so I, I i really can't answer that i don't know how often they plan stuff like that i mean the classes and stuff you know go on on a regular basis uh, Different events, I'll, I'll learn more as we get to know those folks even better.
1: Well, that, when you say classes, that really speaks to the, that whole education piece. And I, and exactly. the more education people can do about wine and about wine glasses and why wine glasses, you know, a particular wine glass is different than another. I think all that education, and that's what we're trying to do here on every other Thursday, is educate, educate, educate. Have a little fun doing it, too. So I'm uh, thrilled to hear about it, and hopefully uh, we'll be talking a lot about glass in the coming episodes. Any last words from you, Greg?
2: I think that these are all very interesting topics. And, I'm, and i and I think there's a lot of change coming down the road. And I think that, you know, change means opportunity. You know, stay tuned. More to come.
1: More to come. There you go. It keeps getting
3: back to you know, Greg's point about dialogues and stuff. But I think all of these ideas, I mean, depending on who you're talking to and what kind of an operator you are, I mean it gives those folks platforms that they can go to if they want to go to them. And I mean, I just think you can have so much fun with all of these ideas before or after dinner and, you know, all that stuff. I mean, it's just another way to make for the operators to make more money and for the guests to be entertained and, it's, it's again goes back to all the show business kind of an idea, and the more uh,
1: all the theater, yeah,
3: yep, all theater,
1: Yeah, I listen, I, I, that's what I'm loving about these uh, episodes that we're doing. On any given episode, you know, this idea or that idea may not be right for this operator or this particular dealer, salesperson, or or supplier. But sooner or later, there's one or two that do, and that's really all it takes. We kid our friend Greg, but to create all that all important dialogue that he talks about, and the idea is is just an overall better guest experience. And when you have better guests, they spend more money, they stay longer, and they come back more often, and they tell their friends. Yep. So
3: absolutely. Cool. Yep.
1: All right, everybody. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of Every Other Thursday. We'll see you in a couple of weeks, but uh, until then, thanks for being around. Take care.
0: Good night. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag #tabletopmatters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com.